Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Amy, and I'm one of the pastors here at Incarnation, and it's good to be worshiping together this morning. We're in a season called Eastertide. It's a season of 50 days. It begins Easter Sunday, which was last week, and it'll end at Pentecost. You might notice that 50 is more than 40 because Eastertide is longer than Lent. And on Sundays in Eastertide, we read the stories of the risen Jesus showing up in unexpected times and places, mostly pretty ordinary ones. We see him show up on a walk, at a meal, on the beach, in a home. And we see it sort of slowly dawning on the disciples that the resurrection is real and what it's going to mean for them and for the world. And so today, I want us to just sort of plant ourselves next to the disciple John and let it dawn on us as it dawns on him. Today's readings bring us two texts written by John. One is from John chapter 20, which David just read, and the other is from Revelation chapter 1, the letter that Nicole read a few minutes ago. In both of these texts, the risen Jesus comes to his people. He comes in the flesh in John chapter 20. He comes in the spirit in a vision in Revelation chapter 1. He comes when he isn't expected, when they're not looking for him. And he comes right in the middle of the doubt and fear and suffering and waiting of his people. Again and again, the risen Jesus comes. And I hope that as we walk with John and witness these encounters with him, that the risen Jesus would come to us too. I hope that our season of Easter is marked by surprise encounters with the risen Jesus. So let's begin in our gospel in John chapter 20. Now John and the disciples are hidden away behind locked doors. And it makes sense. They have been following Jesus. Jesus turned out to be an executed political criminal, and now his body has gone missing. So they're scared that the authorities who killed Jesus will be coming for them next. It makes sense. They're afraid, and they're also grieving. Now, Mary Magdalene has told them that Jesus rose from the dead, but they haven't yet seen him themselves, and they just don't know what to think. And then suddenly, Jesus is among them. He doesn't seem to follow the rules of the material world anymore because it makes a point of saying all the doors were locked and yet he doesn't come in through the door. He's just suddenly in their midst. And to these scared disciples, Jesus speaks. Two times he says to them, peace be with you. And he shows them his hands and his side and he breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. But one disciple isn't there, Thomas. And when Thomas hears what's happened, he doesn't believe it. He's skeptical, and who can blame him? And he says, unless I put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. What an audacious thing to say, to almost demand of Jesus. And yet, if we think back, Jesus had taught his disciples to ask audaciously for what they need. Give us our daily bread. And so Thomas does that. 
He says, if you are really God, if the resurrection is really real, if this story is actually true, then it is going to have to hold up to all the scrutiny and all the doubts and questions that I can possibly throw at it. And we see the risen Jesus doesn't rebuke or condemn Thomas. He comes to him a week later. Notice it is a week later. He doesn't always answer our audacious requests on our timeline. But he comes a week later and he gives Thomas what he needs. He invites Thomas to touch his hands and his side. And we all have Thomas-like stuff in us. We all have doubts. We all have things we're cynical or skeptical about. We all have pieces of theology that just don't sit right with us and we can't quite wrap our heads or hands around. And Thomas shows us we don't have to be afraid of those things. We don't have to hide our doubts from our fellow disciples. We certainly don't have to hide them from Jesus. We can say, show me. Let me put my hand in what is true and real. I want to believe. This is the sort of tenacious faith that Jesus actually longs to form in us if we would just ask him. Okay, so twice now with John, we've witnessed the risen Jesus coming his, to his disciples. First in that room without Thomas, then again in the room with Thomas. And each time he has given his disciples what they need. To their fear, he speaks peace. To their doubt, he offers his own flesh for them to touch and see. And for their ongoing mission into the world, he has breathed out his spirit. But I want us to notice something else about the risen Jesus, and that's that he's still in a body. And somehow this body is still recognizable as his earthly body, as Jesus's body. Now, we know it's transformed in some way because he seems to appear to walk through walls now. And we also know that he's overcome death. So it's a a transfigured, a changed body, but it's still clearly his body. It's Jesus's voice. It's Jesus's same face. It's Jesus's same brown skin. And Jesus' risen body has the marks of the suffering and crucifixion that happened to his earthly body. His risen body has wounds. And my friend Matt once talked about what those wounds meant to him. And he gave me permission to share that with you. So Matt and his wife Shannon are the parents of two children, Waverly and Oliver, who were both born with a rare genetic disorder called Sanfilippo. And Sanfilippo meant that Waverly and Oliver experienced developmental delays and disabilities. As they got older, they lost more and more motor skills and they began to have seizures. And then eventually, in 2015 and then 2018, Waverly and then Oliver died, both right around the time of their 12th birthdays. 
And I'm so happy to remember that some of you met Oliver back in 2018 when we worshipped at Greenbrier Baptist and they visited there. I remember the feeling of joy when we realized that his wheelchair would fit inside that tiny kind of spooky elevator at Greenbrier. It felt like just a little win for inclusion and accessibility for this little church plant we were trying to get off the ground. And whenever I'm in that elevator, and I was in it a lot last week, just hauling AV equipment for Holy Week, I always think of Oliver. It always makes me so happy. But anyway, Waverly and Oliver's dad once talked about this gospel story, how Jesus has the holes in his hands and his feet and his side, and how those holes give Matt hope for his own children's resurrected bodies. Because Matt couldn't bear the thought of his children's glorified, eternal, risen bodies not somehow still bearing some marks of their San Filippo. Now, of course, he would want all the pain and the suffering and the loss and the limitations and the frustration and their early deaths undone. But San Filippo was written in Waverly and Oliver's genes. It was part of what made them who they were. Their faces, their hair, their voices, the way they laughed, things that were such a recognizable and beloved part of these children's identity wouldn't be the same without San Filippo. So would their risen bodies bear the marks of their earthly bodies? This picture of Jesus in the Gospel of John suggests that the answer is yes. And that gave Matt so much comfort. And I've thought about it ever since. I've also gone to seminary since then and read books about it and learned Matt was really onto something here. Jesus' resurrected body bears the marks of his human body, his voice, his features, his skin color, his crucifixion. The pain is gone and the sorrow is gone and the death is gone, but the wounds, the gaping holes are still there, redeemed and whole and gloriously transfigured, but there. And this is the body that Jesus inhabits for eternity. And in a way, Jesus is the embodiment of our hope as Christians. That one day, life will defeat death once and for all. One day, not just our bodies, but the entire earth and every inch of the cosmos will be gloriously transformed. But that the raw material of this new creation is this creation, somehow scars and all. So let's turn now to that new creation, that glorious transformation in our passage from Revelation 1. This takes place some years after that incident with Thomas. And for years now, John has been preaching the gospel and pastoring churches around the Middle East and Asia. And the Roman Empire has been persecuting Christians, including John, and the churches are suffering. Some of the churches are weary and traumatized. Some are scattered and afraid. And some have grown faithless and compromised and corrupt. The church is a mess, not unlike today. 
And John has also been persecuted, so he has been exiled to this prison island for preaching the gospel. And that's where Jesus comes to John in a spirit, in a vision, and tells him to write this vision down in a pastoral letter to all those messy churches. Once again, we see the risen Jesus coming to his disciples, coming to John, coming to those he pastors, and giving them what they need. And what they need this time is this overwhelming vision of Jesus's power and victory and glory and majesty. This vision of all things being made new in this eternal kingdom that will long outlast the Roman Empire and those that persecute them. A vision that will sustain and nourish his people, that will persuade them the story is true and the ending is good. And this vision can sustain us too. So let's spend our last couple of minutes just beholding with John this glorious risen Jesus. Reading from verse 12, it says, Then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long white robe and with a golden sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white as wool, white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined as in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining full force. The language here is so sensory and symbolic. Every image is just loaded about 10 layers deep with allusions to the Old Testament prophets and stories and psalms. This is the language of poetry. It's the language of metaphor. Jesus' eyes are like flames. His feet are like bronze. His voice is like the sound of many waters. John is just grasping for words, and Jesus is bursting through the edges of what human language can describe. We could spend a whole sermon unpacking each one of these images, but we won't. We're here as John's companions, and so we'll just take it all in with him. This mysterious and glorious and overwhelming picture of the risen Christ. But I do want to pay attention to one of those images, one that Jesus himself unpacks for John. Do you remember in that vision where Jesus is standing? He's in the midst of the seven lampstands. And later in verse 20, Jesus tells John the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This blazing, transfigured Jesus is standing in the midst of his people. He's standing in the midst of those messy churches, people who are weary and doubting and afraid and suffering and faithless and idolatrous. The risen Christ chooses to be seen and known and revealed in the midst of his people. Broken as we are, broken as our churches are, We are his chosen earthly body. 
We are where his power and his glory is manifest. And John is so overwhelmed with what he sees that he falls down. He thinks he has died. But Jesus touches him. He tells him, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, but see, I am alive forever and ever, and I have the keys of death and Hades. This glorious, death-defeating, risen Jesus of Revelation 1 is the same wounded, risen Jesus of John 20. It's the same Jesus. His glory and his power is revealed in his wounds and his scars and through his church. And we have been John's companion this morning for all these appearances of the risen Jesus. We've seen him again and again coming to his disciples and giving them what they need. And this Easter season, I want us to invite him to come to us. To come and stand in the midst of our church, our little lampstand in South Arlington. To come and stand here in the midst of our grief, both corporate and individual. The grief we're feeling now and the grief we anticipate feeling soon to come and stand in the midst of our fears, our doubts, our failures, our pain and our suffering, to trust him to give us what we need. So let's be on the lookout for the risen Jesus in our midst in this season. Amen.